0: Go Mighty One, our sacrifice begin. We commence. Riding the dragon to lands of the winter Carry the sword that's alleged but all Roots of the ancients engraved in the scabber warrior, is set to behold Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. It's time to party like it's 1974.
1: There's no need for a long-winded introduction for episode 65 because our guest is familiar to everyone who plays DCC RPG. We're welcoming back... Oh, wait. No, uh, he canceled. Okay, it's the email episode, and we'll talk Mercurial Magic, Patrons, Diversity, GaryCon, MCC, House Rules, and lots and lots of Dungeon Call Classics role-playing game. You know what? I didn't get any freaking guest stars for this episode, but I have two of the best folks in DCC with me right now. You know them as Judge Jen. Hello, hello. And Judge Hefe. Heck yeah. And after a not that long hiatus, we welcome back Judge Mailbag.
2: Yay!
1: Meaning uh, all of you folks who email us. So thank you uh, because you are our guests and honorary judges today. And with that, I think we'll head on over to Tavern Talk. Welcome, friends. Good
2: to see you. I only had one drink to calm my nerves. and give it a drink of your most expensive.
1: Tavern Talk. All right, over here in Tavern Talk, what did we do in gaming over the last week? Uh, Judge Jeff, you're up.
0: A little more than a week ago, I played in Andrew Sternick's campaign. And you know the, everybody I play with here in New York play DCC with. They're all just major Daniel Bishop fanboys, which I love. And in our campaign, we ended up uh, encountering one of the Daniel J. Bishop campaign elements. Uh, that he publishes. And this was The Black Goat. So The Black Goat made an appearance in our current campaign. And those of you who are familiar with Daniel J. Bishop's campaign elements, The Black Goat is super cool and I highly recommend it. But also, I ran my first two sessions of my Mutant Crawl Classics mini campaign Woo. for the DCC NYC meetup group. Woo. And we started with uh, the, zero, the level zero funnel, Mr. Julian Burnick's Hive of the Overmind. Nice. Woo. Man, it was awesome. That is such a fantastic adventure. Thank you, Julian. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And it is brutal, 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 brutal. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, yeah. and there are some really fun, wonderful zero-level funnels, but the, but some of them just really don't have the kind of lethality that I'm looking for, and Hive <laughs> of the Overmind <laughs> doesn't hold any punches. Is that right? It doesn't hold... Wait, what, what is the phrase? Am I... Am I, am I Pulls no, doesn't no punches. Pull.
1: Pulls no punches, yeah.
0: Pulls no punches. Thank you. That's how English works. <laughs> so yes, hive of the Opera mind pulls no punches. And um, what what happened was, although my group was fully RSVP'd, there were a bunch of like very last minute cancellations. So we only had three players who showed up. Uh, but then, kind of halfway through, somebody was was watching and th- saw how much fun we were we were having and ended up joining in. Who was just somebody who was in the game no, store. Perfect. But. Um, yeah, but ultimately, every single character they had, it was basically kind of a, a rolling TPK. Uh, but we kept introducing new characters, and I just kept handing them more and more zeros. Because the way it's written, it's really easy to just kind of keep adding more zero-level characters into it. Ultimately, 24 zero-level characters oh, died.
2: <laughs> and, and so if I'm, if I'm understanding you correctly, you were basically doing that to draw it out a little bit further so that everyone wasn't just dead and bored after an hour.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. Okay. So basically every time they encountered a new room, I would just kind of give them more zero-level characters because they they, they they just kept going through them like Kleenex. <laughs> um, and so Seven did end up surviving the end. And and actually, it's, and it's not fair to say it was a rolling TPK because there actually was one character from the very original batch who survived. He was Umfo the Mutant. Mm, nice. So Umfo has leveled up Ooh. and then joined us in... Our level one adventure, Mr. Tim Callahan's A Fallen Star for All, which is a really super fun intro adventure with lots of there's lots of stuff going on. Like, you know, there's all these like competing adventuring parties and there's like this map that you're exploring. Uh, Very fun. And we did have one first level PC death and that was very sad. But one thing that was interesting is I saw that when people were picking their characters for the first level adventure, nobody nobody picked a pure strain human. Nobody had any interest playing any of the pure strained humans. Hmm. Everybody wanted huh. to play a mutant, a manimal, or a plant ant. Um, and I don't know if that's going to continue to be true or if people are experiencing the same thing in their own MCC games. But, like, man, yeah, people are loving the the they're crazy mutations and it's, it's basically like you basically have an entire party of spellcasters is essentially what happens when everybody's playing mutants and animals and plantains right uh, but yeah we're having a blast with our with our with the first third of our mini campaign
1: that's awesome that's uh that sounds like a lot of fun it sounds like uh you did us proud you know of course um you know jim uh, judge jim uh, influenced the writing of hive over the, of the overmind quite a bit. He was, you know, my, my erstwhile editor and, uh, helped with the notes. And of course, uh, had helped me as, as I was in process quite a bit. And so of course it's very heavily, um, uh, got a lot of Jim in it. Did you guys get through the whole, did you get down to the second level and stuff? We did. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. That's great. Yeah, that's which which is hard to do in a kind of four to five hour session in some cases, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah. I won't ruin anything, but they, they did leave in the very dramatic way in which you can leave. Ah, awesome. Uh, excellent yes Hmm. yeah um i love and also um one thing that's kind of fun is i won't ruin how you can get it but there's a way in which you can get the um the hive mind mutation and one of our characters did indeed end up getting that oh yeah they were using it in a a fallen star for all to do some major mind control with like the bunny men and they had like a little team of bunny men who like were under their control
1: yeah oh that's brilliant that's really good Yeah, that's pretty cool that's awesome. So, um, but I will say, so even though I'm, I, we, I pay tribute and I give thanks to J- judge Jim, the mutant mastermind for the opportunity to, to work on that. Um, I got to say, it sounds like you ran it in the spirit of judge Job,
0: <laughs> <laughs> which is good. Come on. Nice. <laughs> Drink their tears.
1: And you had my old friend, Eric playing with you, right? That's true. How many, how many did, how many did he lose?
0: Oh, and what was hilarious, all of them, <laughs> and what was hilarious is Eric had no idea it was your adventure until after I had finished. Oh, funny. Funny. Yeah. I was like, I was like, yeah, what do you think of Julian's adventure? And he's like, what do you mean? Um, I was like, Julian wrote this. That's funny. <laughs> and hey, I
2: got to red pen yeah. that one. So we're all over it.
0: Oh, yeah. See? Yay. Wow. That's amazing. Okay, back Too to
2: Glowburn cool. now.
1: Okay, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're, all, we're all friends. We're all uh, siblings.
2: It, it's all good. Yep, they're family.
1: Well, awesome, uh, Jeff. Anything else you want to share? Nope, that's Judge it. Judge
2: Jim? <laughs> um, well, actually, much in the style of Jeff's MCC game, we're finding in the Metamorphosis Alpha game that nobody wants to play an actual human everyone would rather be a mutant of some sort, Hmm. Um, which is interesting because there's no guarantee of, you know, a correlating number of powers or mutations or whatnot. Um, But we got to get back into that again. And it was late October for the Halloween game that we ran at our friendly local gaming store. And there was this guy sitting at the table with a nice black and silver, you know, the fourth printing brand new, Looked a little bit red, but he had never played before. He had only listened to to the show and read the books. And he was so excited to get to play in a game either run by or alongside me. And okay, really cute. Uh, And he joined us for our big January game day. And now... As things would have it, he's part of our AD&D group. So, oh, funny! Like, hey, it, it's it's really cool to have Brian join the, the ranks there. And the other big news for this week, I guess, is um, Stephen Newton's uh, "Children of the Fallen Sun." Oh yeah, the first third-party release for Mutant Crawl Classics was released, yeah. and since uh, since I worked on that one for a while with Steven, that that was kind of a, a big deal and I'm really happy to see it finally out yay yep but that's great no real gaming to speak of due to travels and whatnot so I will kick it back over to you Julian
1: well all I can say is it's been quiet on my front I did my little Ravenloft game which was uh, which was good times and I've been really obsessed with Jeffrey McKinney's stuff. Um, just over the last two or three weeks, like Carcosa, and I got one of his D&D adventures. And I've been thinking about... I was really thinking about running Carcosa with DCC, or even hmm. running Carcosa with DCC and MCC. Like, allowing people to make whichever kind of character they wanted. And obvious, obviously, totally That's compatible. Cool. So... I might, you know, maybe I'll even do that at some cons later in the year or next year or something like that just for total one off. But I I was actually trolling the G plus community for like, where are the DCC stats for Cthulhu stuff so that I could actually, you know, like put because he relies a lot on all sorts of Lovecraftian stuff in Carcosa. And of course, John Hook has put a lot of that stuff in the 2017 program guide and all that stuff. So, um, so it's out there and there's various things. There's like a Naira tep- type, of clone and the angels, demons and beings between type thing. And
2: I, I was just yeah. going to say,
1: <laughs> so anyway, there's, there's all kinds of cool stuff, but that's been kind of one of, one of my obsessions lately. Uh, I'll just mention, I couldn't be on the Jogo episode, which I was very, um, uh, sad. And I apologize to you guys and, um, to all Brazilians, but, um, I did. I did. Um,
2: that damn swarm yes, of bees. Well, I,
1: I woke up. Um, I, I had a bad experience. I was walking home from work as I usually do. I had a couple beers as I sometimes do. And suddenly these guys jumped out of a white van, chloroformed me, and I woke up tied to a chair in a basement and surrounded by microphones and laptops and stuff and the masked men. And they're like, Hey, we're going to do a gaming podcast. You know, you're the guest of honor. And I'm like, great. I get to be on gaming and BS. And then he takes off his mask and it's tobs, So, you know, uh, <laughs> that's how I, you know, ended. yeah, I, I,
2: I was going to say Sean and Brett wouldn't go with the white van. Right. That's just a little too passe. Yeah. It'd be black. <laughs>
1: what can I say? I mean, it's a little cliche.
2: <laughs> be a it's black a little SCD. cliche. Yeah. Consider
1: who the, we're talking about. So, you know, so, but we had a fun time with it. Uh, so I did, it was on the Hobbs and friends and we talked about DCC. So, uh, you know, if you want to hear a little extra DCC in your podcast, uh, go check out that episode. We had a blast. And, uh, his, his friend, judge Jose was there. Uh, was a really fun, uh, podcaster, one of his regulars. And, uh, I I love every episode he's on. And of course, I got to be a guest star on uh, Jeff's show, the Appendix End Book Club. I don't think we'd mention it, but uh, the Margaret St. Clair uh, Mm. book, which was really awesome to read. The
2: Shadow People?
1: Mm, Yeah. The Shadow People, indeed. So yeah, Mm. which is highly recommended. I liked it a lot. I don't want to say I liked it a lot more than I thought I would, but I really didn't know what to expect. And I liked it quite a bit. So recommended.
2: Awesome. And so while yeah. you're at it, help over to Sanctum Secorum, episode one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> for I, the absolutely. I, yeah. <laughs> I did listen to that as a uh, preparation and uh, quite enjoyed that, actually. Thank you.
2: All right. I think we've tied yeah. up all of our extracurriculars.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, with that, I think we can move on over and summon some email.
2: I call upon the flame to summon you. Who will deliver the message for me? I came here to give you
0: these facts. Summon email.
1: All right, we're back in email. And uh, now, generally speaking, we take our emails in chronologic order as we receive them. Once in a while, we uh, change it up just because something is timely or maybe a little extra interesting or because it's an alumnus, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, this one, <laughs> of course, is timely because it responds to a later episode uh, and it is from one of our favorite people. Uh, so, uh, Judge Jeff, I'm going to let you do the honors.
0: Well, thank you. And I would like to say that I misrepresented this email in the, in our last episode. I said that we had one very negative email from a DCC luminary, and I want to, I want to revise that statement. It's not very negative. It's just highly critical. So let's go ahead and dive into this email. Dear Judge Jeff, I strongly disagree with your views on episode 63. Creativity has absolutely nothing to do with race, gender, or sexual orientation. When you said we should make space for more diverse content creators in tabletop gaming, it sounds like you were advocating for handing out the already sparse and low-paying RPG writing and art gigs out to untested talent based on physical traits that have no bearing on their ability to paint, design game rules, or meet deadlines. The content creators who have bubbled to the top did so because of their talent and long hours of hard work. They sacrificed countless hours that could have been spent with loved ones or doing more lucrative work. Also, you seem to be making a lot of assumptions about the ethnicity and sexual orientation of these creators. What are you basing those assumptions on? If you want more diversity in RPG content creators, I urge you to pick up a pen and express your own unique voice. I, for one, can't wait to F everyone to death in your white (laughs) gay male dungeon. I wouldn't mind reading your writing either. So if you haven't guessed by that end, it is from uh, Mr. Judge Job Bittman. So thank you, Job, for your... (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Job, for writing in. Um, First, I just, I guess I want to say that, like, I I never at any point in the podcast said that creativity had anything to do with race, gender, or sexual orientation. I, I really honestly don't believe that women... LGBT people, people of color, or etc. I don't believe that any of them are any more or less creative than anybody else. I just think that it's important that we have a wide array of voices in our community. And also, you know, the importance of representation isn't just having unique voices, because also one thing I didn't really discuss in that episode was also just how important it is for people within that community to see people like themselves. I guess I did kind of bring that up. You know, when I came to my first Gen Con, one of the first things I did is I signed up for the Queer as a Three-Sided Dice uh, panel discussion. And the Queer as, a, Queer as a Three-Sided Dice seminar was a seminar of uh, um, LGBT content creators. And when I went and I sat down in that seminar, I was so inspired to be sitting there and seeing LGBT people who were out there writing and publishing in, uh, in the RPG community. And the place was packed full of people who were also very inspired by that. And I also know from experience that you know when, when, when Judge Jen is running games, women feel more empowered to go out there and run games as well. So I think it actually is really important to LGBT people to see other LGBT people creating content and doing meaningful things within the community. And I know that that also relates to people of color and to women, etc., but I, I I see what you're saying. And I just want you to know that I'm not suggesting that we just like run out and start offering writing gigs to like the first like black trans lesbian in a wheelchair that we find. That's not what I'm saying at all. You know, I'm saying that like when we go out there and we're and we're putting our projects together and we're hiring writers and we're hiring artists, I'm suggesting that we ask ourselves, is everybody that I'm hiring an entire roster of like straight white dudes? And if the answer to that is yes, then like maybe it's worth considering taking a moment to, to to think about what that communicates to people who aren't straight white dudes. And I think it's important for us to give them the opportunity to also go out there and, and work long, hard hours and sacrifice time with their family and opportunities to make lots of money to go out there and, and do this exact same thing as well, you know. And I, I know that you're coming from a good place. I have I have tons of respect for you, and sure, I'd be happy to like run something that I've written for you at some point. And in fact, I think it would be an honor. But I don't know. I just I'm, i I hope that this makes some sense. I, I'm sure I didn't change your mind, but at the at the very least, I I hope that you better understand where I'm coming from with this particular issue. I don't know. What, do you guys have anything you want to add to that?
2: You know, I, I've always been a, a big proponent of you know, hey, let everyone have the, the same opportunities. But if that means some people just don't have the desire or ability to sacrifice all of that time on something that could be less lucrative than, say, you know, a nine to five. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a, a, a matter of choice at that point. Perhaps it's because you don't have a whole lot of people with the varied backgrounds submitting content. Hmm. so that that could have something to do with the uh, the lack of perception out there.
0: I definitely think there are more straight white guys out there who are putting out materials for RPG stuff. There's no doubt about it. You know, I, I but I think it's important that when we're looking at, People who were hiring for stuff and were going to the the zine community and the and the blogging and the blogosphere or whatever, and we see that there are other people out there who are also doing this stuff that we also go out of our way to make sure that they have an an opportunity as well. Hmm. Because as as like a young straight white dude growing up, you know, like somebody like Job or a lot of our other people who are getting gigs in uh, in, in in the industry, there was never any doubt that that this industry was for for them. You know, they never they weren't little kids growing up who were different than these people thinking, oh, my God, I love this thing. But like, I don't know if there's a place for me there.
2: Oh, okay. So we're looking for more sources of inspiration to to be established in in the community then.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I mean, all of this ties into the idea of making the game more welcoming. And I, I really do think that there really are three tiers to that there's how you make it more welcoming at your table there's how you make it more welcoming with the representation within the actual writing and artwork and then there's the how you make it more welcoming with the representation of who's actually creating content so i do think it's worthwhile to go out of your way to when you're when you're calling your your talents that if you do see somebody out there who's not the kind of person you normally see doing this stuff to like go out of your way to like give them a chance to prove themselves that's all i'm saying i'd say that's well fair said. yeah
1: Yeah, I I will say um, I'll add two things kind of that are linked. One is I think this is not really a – I mean it's a DCC thing, but it's also – if anything, I think DCC is a little better than a lot of the OSR stuff. And probably it's it's, broadly speaking an OSR thing, uh, generally speaking especially because it skews a little older and straighter and maler and whiter, I think. I don't, you know, just demographically, not that it's not that I necessarily think people are less welcoming by choice, but it's certainly just it's more uh, traditional and conservative and demographically um, traditional, I would say. Um, Yeah. And that's just the way it is. It doesn't mean it won't change as demographics change. But as we talked about on episode, uh, I think, 63, you know, if we want people to be gaming with OSR stuff like DCC in 20 years, in 40 years, even after we're gone, then we have to make sure that a younger, less traditional, more broadly diverse generation is, is playing these games. And the, the way we're going to do that is by welcoming people of of every creed. And in fact, it's just going to as long as we get them in to the table and put the dice in their hands. Everything else, honestly, I believe will take care of itself. When, you know, if they get into it and they play DD and they like it or DCC or Swords of Wizardry or any of this stuff, if they play it and they like it, then they'll make their own, you know, what? they'll make their own stuff. They're just, you know, people who are drawn to it are naturally creative. They like to do this stuff. So if we get them, they will, you know, here they come. So I, I think it, it really starts... In in my thought, it starts mostly with getting them to the table, getting the dice in their hands, making products that are inclusive and don't turn them off, you know. And then if we mm-hmm. do that, you know, we'll draw them in and they'll be the next generation of creative folks. And even you'll get uh, older generations of creative folks coming out and to do it and all kinds of stuff, you know. I mean, I, I think I think that's the way to do it. And, you know, I it takes me back like many years ago I was – Talking with somebody about a congressman who is running in my district, and uh, there were there was a primary or something, and there were a lot of people running, and they were all really good. The politics were all pretty much the same. They were all more or less equally good in our eyes, uh, but there were like three white guys and one black guy, and I live in a district that's heavily uh, Somali, as it turns out, and you know, so people from Somalia and East Africa. And the hmm. the congressman was uh, – is a, is a Muslim. He's a, born in America. Keith Ellison is my congressman, my favorite congressman, by the way. Unlike Obama, <laughs> he's actually a black Muslim, by the way. But anyway, um, so uh, – and I made the case for Keith. Even though the other candidates running for this – the Democratic nomination were all really good, I made the case for Keith to this other person by saying, you know – you know, all the other guys are great. You know, they're not bad by any means. And Keith is maybe in my eyes a little better, but really not that much better. The, but, you know, for the folks in our neighborhood, don't we want somebody who represents them, especially those people who have no voice in the rest of the whole Congress? You know, don't we want people who are going to look at this if you're a 10-year-old kid or 10-year-old or a you know, yeah. 20-year-old or a 40-year-old or a senior citizen, whatever, but, you know, who has no voice. I mean, wouldn't you, don't we want to actually broaden things? And don't we want to inspire these, these next generations who don't see people like them in that role, especially when things are kind of more or less equal, right? Let, let's, let's do the thing that's going to broaden the appeal. That's going to, you know, keep people in our uh, camp, you know? And um, anyway, that was my argument then. And I think it applies, even though obviously it's an entirely different thing. I think it applies to to what we're talking about here.
0: I think it does as well. And I think that's really beautifully said. So thank you, Julian. We
1: probably harped on that enough. <laughs> we, lo- we love you, Judge Job. And, uh, you know, we look forward to you fiction killing us many more times in the future.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nicely put.
1: So with that, I think we have our next missive from Adrian Minter. And for this one, uh, Judge Jen will take it away.
2: Okay. Going back into the archives here. Dear Judges Jay and Guest, if applicable. Pa! Well, um, okay, best laid plans. Approximately one year ago, I ran my first RPG session, A Public Portal Under the Stars Funnel. In a very few sessions, the attending players had increased in number and were now traipsing through the tomb of Ulfinar. As the Lords of Chaos would have it, a particular elf had managed to gain the phase-out mercurial effect on one of his spells. The real problem came about when the party came to the carved stone door in the antechamber. After mere token events to describe searching the chamber, the players just started hammering out rolls on their own, calling out numbers at me. I quickly informed them that absolutely none of their investigative rolls had led to any clues pertaining to a way through. Perhaps they try looking for something else or investigating in another area. Met with vocal criticisms that I wasn't letting them go through, the aforementioned elf announced that he was casting Rope Trick, or Galtursu's Alacritus Cordage, as I had redubbed it far more dying earth feel. Nice. It was, yeah, very nice. It was not for the actual spell, but because the player had interpreted phase out to mean that he could now pass through all objects and matter at will. After perhaps five minutes of deliberation and semantics with the entire group set firmly against my interpretation as judge, I gave in. Thus it was that Michio the elf passed through the impassable door, wandered around in the dark for a few moments after realizing that lighting a torch is, in a way, interacting with one's environment, and was promptly rent to pieces due to phasing back in amidst a collapsed passageway entirely filled with jagged stone (laughs) rubble. We collectively decided that he was kind of a dick anyway and moved on. (laughs) My question... Right? Well said. Uh, My question is this. How would you, as much more creative and experienced judges, interpret the phase-out entry, number 89, of Mercurial Magic? Should he have been allowed to light a torch since he had already been allowed to walk through solid stone with his clothes and gear intact on his person? Was it a slap against game masters everywhere that I gave in to such piteous rationalizations? I often think back on this and still I'm not sure if I handled the situation in the best way possible. Without resorting to pulling rank as the guy running the game, I can't think anything would have dissuaded this particular group from getting their way or simply packing up and going home angry. We did not meet many more times after this. Thank you very much for providing this excellent show. It was by listening to this podcast that I decided to go all in during the Chained Coffin Kickstarter. The cast may have changed, but the quality has not slipped. The road goes ever on. Adrian Mentor. Well, awesome. Um, I'm going to address the last thing first. He started on my first show. Yay!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very nice.
2: Um, Okay, and just for anyone curious, the phase-out... Uh, Mercurial Magic entry says, after casting this spell, the wizard shifts out of space with the world, making him invisible and invulnerable to attack, but preventing him from interacting with his environment. This state lasts for 1d6 rounds plus one plus one round per level of the spell. You know, personally, Adrian, I I think that was just fine. Interacting with your environment? Absolutely. I mean, you you think back to ad d's invisibility any sort of interacting with your environment would blow that so yeah that that interaction while phased out i would think is well uh, I, a, a good call i think I, I would i would probably make the same call
1: i think it's only attacking that blew it though in ad
0: actually
2: um walking through water walking through snow lighting a torch because all of a sudden, uh, someone's lighting a torch, picking it up, moving it. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, certainly I, I, if you're...
2: But but again, yeah, that would that would be based on the DM's judgment call, too. Well, Sorry. yeah.
1: I would certainly but I th- say that...
2: I think it's a little more spelled out in AD&D. Y- well, for They're sure. are pretty good with rules. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Without getting too hung up on the AD and D invisibility spell, I would say what? that with <laughs> with the phased out entry of the, I mean, I'm I'm with you, Adrian. I think you handled it well. Um, I, I also, it, it doesn't say you go incorporeal, in, incorporeal. Um, it also, I mean, it doesn't in any way insinuate that you can suddenly, that you, that you don't have a physical form anymore. And you could also argue that walking through a door is interacting with your environment. But like, ultimately, I think there are, there are two things. One, when you play any kind of an OSR style game, I think it's important that the group understands that, the rulings over rules is a core part of OSR gaming. And that if you disagree with the judge, that's fine. We can move on and we can discuss it after the game is over and we can talk about maybe what we will do next time. But in the, in, in the interest of keeping the game moving, I, would have, I think I would have just said, all right, you can't pass through the door. It's, it's, it's fine if you guys don't agree with me on that. Let's, let's discuss that after the game, but let's just keep the story moving here. Um, I, I think that's kind of what I personally would.
2: But have it done. seems like if she, if Adrian had done that, it would have been a complete standstill because nobody could get through the door because nobody was finding the right thing. At which point, mm-hmm. you know, see, I'm I'm with you on the phase out interpretation. But yeah, going back to the beginning there. Okay, yeah, players should never just start re rolling and throwing out numbers for a search roll. No, that that's not cool either, but. If they're stalling out, I go back to the seminars that Joseph Goodman and Joe Bittman and Harley Stroh would sit on for how to write adventure modules that don't suck. And one of the biggest rules that Harley has is if you have a door, you have to provide more than one way for it to be opened. Because otherwise, Mm -hmm. the players are sitting there with a door in front of them. None, None of their characters can get through. It's not fun for anybody. So start asking yes. for a luck check and maybe then, hey, you find something. So that that's how I would have addressed it at the very beginning.
1: I, I think all I have to say, I think you guys, I have only two things to say. I think you answered it beautifully. But just to say that, to your last point, Jen, to add that the judge as well as the writer, the writer can't handle necessarily every door. Although it's a good idea for main obstacles, but even the judge should be looking for ways to get the players to say yes, right? To say yes, to Mm -hmm. help the players do what they're trying to do. The the players are in charge of writing the story. The, The judge is in charge of writing the background and the other characters, right? So, you know, we're trying to actually have them do the cool stuff and the fun stuff. And even if it involves an avalanche or, you know, what have you.
2: But it sounds like a pretty strong-willed group of players to begin with. And since they didn't meet very many times afterwards, um, it sounds like they wanted to tell their own story and maybe just have a a GM there to handle monsters.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, players have all sorts of different points of reference. And, you know, they might be Pathfinder guys or whatever. But um, the only (laughs) other thing I will add is... um, the 13 year old in me says, Anytime you talk about phasing, you're obviously referring to Kitty Pride of the X Men. So, <laughs> the idea that this mercurial magic wizard can phase through the door is 100% normal. And Kitty Pride would never like phase back in with not being able to see her surroundings and stuff. She's not stupid. So, yeah, um, you know, next.
2: nice well I think that leaves the the next one for you then sir oh yes okay
1: well um, hey and before we move on thank you Adrian that was a great uh, that was a great email appreciate it all right and the next one is from one of our honored uh, former guests not the one who bailed on us tonight though I will say Um, but one of our (laughs) former guests and obviously (laughs) a uh, great DCC personality and a fabulous judge and one of my favorite people, Mister Judge Brendan LaSalle.
0: Yay, Yay. Brendan! Brendan! This is
1: it. This letter just, this email just completely cracks me up because it's kind of long, but it's he writes these letters. He writes this email exactly like he talks and like he runs the games. It's awesome. Um, so. Dear Spellburners, greetings. I'm a longtime listener, first-time emailer, and Dungeon Crawl Classics enthusiast. I really enjoyed the Appendix H episode. I have some thoughts I want to share about the discussion of the practice of spellburning 20 points to assure a maximum patron bond result editorial, which I think that was one of the emails in that episode. That was a while back, but uh, as I recall. It was, yeah. Uh, my thought is to lean into it. Let that wizard burn those points, and if you use the optional automatic crit result with a 20-point burn, by all means, let that pass with a smile. And then use that (laughs) wizard's new relationship with his patron to make that fool's life an inescapable hell. From the spell text, (laughs) in quotes, but the patron considers this caster integral to his long-term goals, end quote. That wizard, ready or not, just made himself one of the patron's chief lieutenants. The patron will assign their new enforcer slash confidant slash go-to spellcaster any manner of insanely difficult and dangerous tasks. After all, they were willing to sacrifice so much, nearly kill themselves in order to garner their favor. That's a wizard who will go to the mat for you, so you will send him to do the impossible, steal the unstealable, and kill the unkillable again and again, forever. Forever. Also, since this wizard is now <laughs> <I
2: love it. laughs>
1: of supreme importance to that patron, you can be sure they're going to find their choices restricted. The band here is about a cave filled with stacks of gold guarded by a bunch of anemic, undisciplined goblins who refuse to set sentries and, the, and whose favorite weapons are dirty socks stuffed with other dirty socks. Whoa, says your patron. I don't think so. (laughs) Risking yourself for mere gold when I need you healthy and fresh for this astoundingly dangerous quest that shall earn you nothing save the greatest possible reward? Our continued relationship? I don't think so. (laughs) And of course, any great patron is going to have great enemies. When dealing with a uh, difficult-to-confront powerful enemy, what better way to undermine his goals than destroying one of their allies? one who is integral to his long-term goals. That's a license for the judge to throw Mm -hmm. the entire monster manuals at a wizard and anyone who takes (laughs) their part. Individual patrons will react differently, of course. An alien (gasps) intellect like Bobugbabils might assume that his new wizard pal is just that powerful and send the caster and their companions out to deal with situations way above their pay grade. On the other hand, Sezra would instantly know what the PC is about Game recognizes game, and he fully understands that this supplicant is the kind of ambitious, power-hungry, would-be archwizard that might start entertaining ideas above their station. After all, a magician that powerful might think that he might make a good patron someday. And who needs that drama? So the Sez is going to use that relationship very carefully, (laughs) squeezing out every last drop of utility before either sending them on a mission of no hope or return or survival or just stealing their power outright. That wickedest wizard ever to plague the known world tag didn't come from winning the Pinewood Derby. (laughs) This sounds like I'm picking on the spellcasters player. And I swear I'm not the 20 point patron burn sounds like the start of a potentially amazing story. One of the things I truly love about DCC is how the system, specifically the magic rules, takes the game to so many interesting places. I don't see the situation being any different than the classic misfire or disapproval result that sends the game spiraling in a wonderfully unexpected direction. Parentheses, remind me to tell you about the Neon Knights session when a flub charm spell caused the wizard to fall in love with the warrior, the warrior to fall in love with the tempest beast, and the tempest beast to fall in love with the wizard. Hysterically funny ending, if possibly leading up to the most heartbreaking prom ever. <laughs> <laughs> Creative players who value fun over min-maxing their character, in other words, the overwhelming majority of DCC players I've had the privilege of rolling dice with, relish situations like that. You buy a ticket, you take the ride. Thank you all for y'all's efforts. Congratulations once more on your well-deserved any. Huge fan of the show and all the burners past and present. Cheers. Judge Brandon. Oh, God. (laughs) P.S. Judge Dan, are you listening? Yeah. P.S. Please put me (laughs) down for 20 bucks for the Judge Julian Sings the Disco Divas Kickstarter with a caveat that he has to cover Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. I want to play it in the background when I run my new funnel to screw with people's minds.
0: Oh.
2: You know, up till that point. I, I was like, Oh, Brandon, you know, I love you, man. That, th- that was perfect. Th- the, the post script kind of ruins it for me. Oh,
1: come on. <laughs> come on. I hadn't, I hadn't thought. So double thank you, judge Brendan for a great email, a great response, a ton of good ideas and, uh, yeah. and mm-hmm. a great Kickstarter idea too. <laughs> judge Jeff, do you want to chime in on that?
0: Uh, no, I, I think this is just an incredible email. I love everything that uh, that Brendan has to say here. I'm very much inspired by what he's saying. I, I agree completely. You know, actually, there was recently, I was recently playing a game, uh, playing in a game where I did have a patron bond opportunity and the judge wouldn't allow me to spell burn anything on it. Hmm. There was certainly a, a disappointment because my thought my thought process was if I'm willing to just completely take myself down to nothing and be adventuring as this like frail sack of bones like i feel like it's it's more fun to as you were saying earlier julian to say yes to the player and let them do this thing but whatever we're, we're still having a great time and well three words right tempest beast prom
2: yeah <laughs> and you you also don't have to be one of those judges that says automatic success on 20 burns uh, 20 points of spellburn or more. So I I'm all for the the player, you know, go ahead, spellburn down to everything you got. You roll a 1? It is a 1. Oh yeah. Congratulations. I still get to screw with you. Oh, It'll yeah. be fun.
1: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Possibly
2: a little less work in the long run. <laughs> Cuz I don't yeah. have to think of all these devious things for the patron to send you out on. Good times.
1: Good times. You get to read the next email.
2: Okay. Well, hey, this one comes to us from Judge Joan. You got it. Hello, Spellburn! Judge Joan here with some questions on rules clarifications. There are some classes that may use a plus D when attacking. My question is with the warrior specifically, uh, though it would apply for the warrior and thief. Uh, Question number one, would you clarify the warrior's attack role It came up in an online game where the judge, in my opinion, was not understanding the plus three rules. Uh, My understanding is that the d3 is thrown with the d20 each time the warrior attacks. But that when a mighty mighty deed of arms is declared, the d3 is rolled again to see if it happens. Basically rolling two d3 plus for a 20 for a mighty deed. Or declare the mighty deed, roll the d3 to see if it happens, then roll the d3 plus d20 attack. You know, let, let's pause the email there and and weigh in on that.
0: No, you roll it once.
2: I I am thinking roll it once, and after playing with Harley, I'm I'm gonna say that that's
0: as intended. Yeah, you roll a D twenty and a D three. You add them both together, and if it's a three or higher, then your cool thing happened. Yeah,
2: the D three it, it's not an attack bonus, but I I also go an extra step, and if you don't declare a mighty deed, you don't get to roll the D three.
0: I mean, it is an attack bonus in that you are adding it to your attack roll.
2: Right. Or if if you don't actually declare a mighty deed or say that you're trying to do something cool, there's no extra effect. It just becomes an attack bonus.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: And I think we did. I think we've been through it not to totally derail Joan's email, but if you're making two attacks, you share
0: the deed die, Right. Yes, yeah. we did. We did go oh, over yeah. that. There's a lot of back and forth, but it that is where we landed. <laughs> so if you've got a, if you're making two D20 attacks, you roll two D20 and one D3 for your single mighty deed, Woo-hoo. and that single D3. Well, I guess it wouldn't be a D3 if you're high enough that right. you're rolling well, yeah. two D20s. But you you get what I'm saying. Uh, whatever that die is, you're adding to both of those rolls. And
2: just to clarify, um, this email is. A little bit older, you know, maybe from last year. I know joan has been running like a mad woman two or three times a week lately. So she may have actually gotten past this point, but this email is really, really helpful for the new judges out there.
1: For sure. So, Exactly. We have an
2: answer for number one. Uh, Question number two, when leveling up a PC uh, for the fort reflex and will saves, do you not add the modifier shown on the chart for that level to the zero level modifiers. If you have a level a zero level with a fort save of -1 and the chart has 0, it still remains 1. Or if the reflex is +1 and the chart has +1, it becomes a +2. Does that make sense to people? Yes. Yes. Okay.
0: You're adding you're adding the you're adding the leveled bonus to your ability bonus. And at zero level all you have is your ability bonus. Oh, yeah.
2: And so the the answer, I believe, we're looking for is going to be cumulative. So exactly. by the time you get to level... Those bonuses do
0: not replace your zero-level right. bonuses.
2: Yeah, and so by the time you get to level 10, you just add that entire column and add it to that, you know, whatever your existing, um, say, we're talking reflex modifier, whatever the agility modifier is, you know, each time you level up. And well,
0: I, I'm sorry. Just to clarify, you're not yeah. adding up the whole column. Oh, I know, you're, I
2: know. I'm, I, I
0: meant, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, that's what I thought you meant, but I just didn't want to confuse anybody who's listening. No, and no, no. Now I was like, wait, that's what you do?
2: No, each time, each time you level, you take the the number under that column for that particular level. You know
0: exactly, mm-hmm. and then add your ability yeah. bonuses.
2: Yeah. And last for now, number three, I'd like to hear thoughts on the suggested use of the dice chain for creating PCs. A, use 3D6 for funnel characters. Uh, Her thought is, B, use the D5, D6, and D7 to create the higher-level PCs for when you're playing higher-level modules. Oh, now that's interesting. Uh, For example, choosing to play a level-2 adventure and making the characters for it, uh, she would use the second method to try to get something maybe a little bit Hmm. higher. Now, if
1: Judge Terry Olson were here he'd be like, well, you've actually got a 59.8% chance to get something higher than a 12 on it. You know, we'd be like, what? And like, (laughs) I'm just trying to think of how I'd actually get Mm -hmm. the calculator going. And... Well, I Mm -hmm. can already
0: answer how it would work because there's a great website called anydice.com where you can plug in the probability for anything, any kind of dice you want to roll. And I've actually (laughs) done exactly that for exactly this because I was curious how much it would affect the, the 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 bell curve if you, instead of rolling 3d6, decided to do a very DCC way of rolling a d5, a d6, and a d7 together. And the bell curve oh. is almost identical. It's it, it's it's hardly hmm. different at all.
2: Oh, interesting. So um, if you're looking
0: to kind of give some DCC flavor to rolling your character stats, I don't think it's going to give you better characters, but it will kind of give you a more a flavorful experience of rolling a 5, 6, and a 7 at the same time.
2: Oh, for sure. Especially if you've got newer players that are just sitting down, it'll get them familiar with the dice and yeah. put those dice in their hands. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Awesome. And she ends yours truly, long-winded Judge Joan challenging Judge Kojo's <laughs> long-windedness. Um, that was before <laughs> Brendan's email aired. Okay. <laughs> and um, Jeff, could you like, Grab that link or something for our show notes for this show.
0: Oh, any I, I think that
2: would be really helpful.
0: Oh yeah, thanks. Huh, no problem. Well, th- thank you. Cool.
2: Thank you, Joan. Can't wait to see you again.
0: Yay, Joan. Thank you, Judge
1: Joan. And our last email is going to be read by Judge Jeff.
0: Oh, okay. And this one here is from a Mr. Mark Maloney, and he says, "Hello, Spell Busters." I started listening to this podcast about a year ago when I found DCC. Not only did the game bring me back to 1983 when I received my first basic set, but the podcast felt like I was sharing the fun with some friends who shared my enthusiasm. I found myself listening to all of them from the beginning to the latest one about creating patrons, and I have rarely been disappointed. Thank you so much. I would like to make a suggestion about a future show. House rules are always an interest to me. A new show or series exploring specific areas that many judges and players change to make their own games more fun slash simple slash interesting would be great. I would like to suggest topics like luck, magic, and class talent house rules. For example, my team and I have a house rule about thief skills. Rather than trying to fit all the thief wants to do into the standard categories given, we've made a house rule called jack of all trades. It's similar to a mighty deed. uh, It gives him a D die instead of an additional modifier for a specific action and encourages him to try many things as long as they don't involve combat tactics like a mighty deed. I would like to hear the other players' house rules. Do you have any that you would like to share? No, wait, make it an episode. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for this email. That is a really great idea. In fact, I think this whole thing could be a really fun and interesting episode into itself, unto itself. So yeah, listeners, if you're out there and you would like to tell us about your house rules for the house rules episode, uh, go ahead and mail those in. I guess it'll kind of be a mailbag episode of just house rules, and we can look at. But we, we we might not read the whole email. We'll just maybe just like pull out cool and interesting house rules here and there. And then when we have that episode, we can go ahead and discuss those and share those and let you know our thoughts on them. And also share some of the house rules that we regularly use or have experimented with or have thought about using.
2: Yeah, that that would actually be really good. And you know, if you have one that might be a little uh, ambiguous, you know, just include a, a single little anecdote with it. And yeah, that, that could actually be really good.
1: What about Mark's? Are we going to address it now? Or do you want to, uh...
2: well, he said, he said to make it an episode.
1: Yes. So we're going to keep you in suspense, Mark.
0: Regardless, I'm going to say, I like that house rule. I think it's cool. I think it's fun. I think it's in the spirit of the game. And I, I also think that the D die is, is, is so fun that I also think it would be fun to have a wizard roll a D die instead of having their their normal boring modifier. Let everybody have some kind of a die they're rolling with their D 20. The warriors can do it in combat. Wizards can do it in spell checks and thieves can do it whenever they're doing something thiefy. I think it's fun. I like it.
1: And if it's a funky die, even better. I would say that uh, anything that uh, actually cut down on needing to look stuff up and look at the character sheet and stuff like that is very much in the spirit of game. You know, if it's just a roll Mm -hmm. a die and get a three or higher, I mean, that'll be, you know, like keep everything really crisp and moving and I love it. So yes, Heck yeah. yeah, good one, Mark, and great idea. So look forward to a future episode uh, with that. So that's our emails for today. Thanks to our uh, writers and really appreciate the emails. Of course, uh, you can always uh, email us at com and uh, send us some house rules, and we'll be really looking forward to going through those for a future episode. All right. With that, we're going to go over to Mighty Deeds and have a quick chat on something we're very excited about, namely Garycon 2018. Let the combat begin. To the death! now a hero. Huh. So you want to play rough, eh? We'll take this. Mighty deeds. All right. For our Mighty Deeds portion, I want to just uh, highlight some of the stuff we're looking forward to. I know that I'm super stoked and getting antsy to run some games and play in some games. Um, Judge Jen, I know you're running a ton of Lankmar stuff. Uh, what are you thinking, and uh, what's, your, what's your biggest anticipation?
2: Um, I'm actually only running four, and uh, it sounds like a cheat, but I'm doing two of each. Um, what I'm... I gotta say, I, I my biggest regret is not signing up to run something that is newbie friendly. Yeah, you know, both uh, both of the games, i.e. all four slots, are really you know some experience necessary and all that, and that I think was a, a turnoff for some of the newer players that were coming in. So I now I kind of feel bad for that. Um, but what I'm most looking forward to is um, tim to shane running dcc lankmar because i've only ever experienced you know michael curtis or bob brinkman running lankmar so i'm really really excited to to see someone else's feel on that
1: yeah um me oh
2: and and i got a, i got in a game with valerie though so that'll be really cool too i'm 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 excited to see new judges in the field
0: yeah what about you jeff yeah, so I'm going to be running games in the morning on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and I'll be playing in some games in the evening, and I'm very excited. On Thursday morning, I'll be running John Hook's Shadow Under Devil's Reef, and there are some fun people sc- signed up for that game. We've got Jim Skatch and David Hoskins in that game. That'll Yay! be fun. Then I'm running um, Brendan LaSalle's Neon Knights on Friday morning. Awesome. And Heck yeah. And then on Saturday morning, I'm going to run Shadow Under Devil's Reef again. And totally, I'll be completely honest with you guys, I haven't actually read either adventure yet. Uh, <laughs> wow. But I do promise I will read it before I run it. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. And that uh, sh- the Shadow Under Devil's Reef game on Saturday morning has Haley Sketch in it. And both uh, uh, James and Jennifer Walls. Oh, oh funny. G- yeah. That well, is going to be an insane <laughs> table. Yes. Yes. <laughs> then I'm also going to be playing in Michael Curtis's, uh, in a Michael Curtis Lankmar game, which I've yet to do. Ooh. Uh, so that'll be fun. But one kind of annoying thing about it is there are six players, and three of the six players are named Jeff. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm.
2: I did notice that. Wow.
0: <laughs> yep. Jeff Seifert, Jeff Goad, and Jeff Bernstein are all going to be playing.
2: And hey, <laughs> all three of them are good people. So just go by last oh, name. Oh, absolutely.
0: You're fine. They're wonderful Jeffs. I, I just, you know, it's-, it's it, You
2: it's, get zero sympathy from me, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like Dan Steeby and, and Mark Plort are going to be there as well in that oh, game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. And I was also excited to get into a Tim Kask game. So I'll be playing in an OD&D Tim Kask adventure. Awesome. No doubt. And for my last one that I signed up for, I'm going to be playing in a Reed Filippo Crawling Under a Broken Moon game, which is awesome because I've never played under uh, Judge Reed Sanfilippo. And I've actually never played any Crawling Under a Broken Moon at all. Like I've oh, read really? this stuff, but I've never played in it. Yeah. So that'll be really fun. I'm excited for that.
2: It, it's actually cool that you're getting into his uh, setting with him running it. And mm-hmm. I, I think that'll be... Uh, that's what I did with the one year we went to Game Hall Con. And that's actually what Valerie's running. So it makes it kind of a, a double yeah, I'm, I'm super interested in this game.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. And of course, in my free time, I decided not to over, overbook myself. Running one each day and playing one each day was plenty for me. So I'm also planning on, in my downtime, hanging out, drinking, eating, and also <laughs> playing off the book stuff and chatting with people who've become, who become who, who now feel like old friends and uh, mm-hmm. meeting, meeting new people who I've seen online or maybe haven't interacted with at all. Gary Conn really is my, my favorite of the conventions that I go to absolutely
2: oh and i i was remiss i i think one of the things i'm looking most forward to is the fact that a couple of our friends from las vegas who we knew for decades uh we talked them into coming out so that is probably what i'm most bouncy about for this year
0: awesome uh,
2: yes oh god jeff i can't wait to introduce you <laughs>
0: Cool! Yay! And Julian too.
2: And you know, I I also made plans in my days so that I'm not running anything before ten, which means I might be able to pull myself out of bed to have breakfast with you guys this year instead mm-hmm. of being a lump.
0: <laughs> Yay! And it's crazy to think that my first time meeting Jen was just August before last, and my first time meeting Julian in person was just this last Garycon.
2: Yeah, that's seriously. True. What do you have going on, Julian?
1: I've got, I'm running five games, which is at least one too many.
2: Um, (laughs) And (laughs) you're starting at like nine in the morning for some of them. What the heck? Yeah, well,
1: I think that's the, (laughs) on Sunday I'm running some, I've been working on a game for uh, crawling, for not crawling, Mm -hmm. but rather American Survival Guide. The um, read stuff. And uh, it is a crazy nutty, Oh, Burger Wars. Um, burger Wars. It's sort of a fast food themed, but we'll we'll have um, – in, in, if that's – you know, fast food is not gross enough for you, we'll have the usual exploding heads and um, stuff like that, uh, putting people in microwaves and all good, kinds of good stuff. Um, and Love then, uh, you know, running a couple D&D games. And running my uh, running my cunning crown and Magilscar, running a new MCC adventure, the homebrew that I've been working on. Ooh! And what what the heck other thing? I can't even remember. I'm so fr- turned around thinking about all the different games I'm running this year. I don't even know anymore. Um, <laughs> but um, it's going to be a blast. And I'm still working on my ambition of sneaking into a. A uh, honorary judge Joseph Daniel Bishop type game, so uh, that's that's one thing I'm Hmm. looking forward to. Plus, heck yeah! Plus, Saturday night, I spoke with Mister Judge Jason Hobbs about you know possibly doing some kind of weird hybrid, totally thing that should not be Spellburn Hobbs and the OSR shenanigans or something. So I don't know. Maybe mm. there will be a mic. Maybe people will be around. Maybe you guys will be around. I don't know who the heck knows. We do, you know, some who knows what could happen.
2: I'm actually running uh, from six to ten on Saturday, doing something completely out of the norm for me. So we'll wow. we'll see how that ends up. And I figure worst case scenario, I can be tracked down at the cultural exchange upstairs Saturday night.
0: Yeah, and if you can find me, I'm definitely interested. I'm down. That sounds fun. We're we're not
1: above just kind of barging in and taking over your game for five minutes obnoxiously, Jen. You know, obviously, we would just...
2: Um, You know, looking at the the player list for that game, I'm okay with that.
1: (laughs) She's like, those guys are going to rough you two up anyway, so...
2: (laughs) But I'm... I'm I, I gotta be honest. It's a fifth level uh, DCC Lankmar game, Ooh. so it'll be a, a little interesting on the rules side, anyway. Yeah. And, and that's why that's why I was like, eh, probably no newbies for this one, you guys. At least get the DCC rules down, and we can go over the Lankmar variants then.
0: And I only just noticed just this moment that the Reed Sanfilippo crawling in our Broken Moon game I'm playing in is an eighth level adventure.
2: Rocket! Wow.
0: I've actually I've. I've actually never played a character level that high in DCC before. Wow.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, because you weren't at the big, huge table with all of us that first. Uh, actually, the the day we met, Jeff, I, mm. I came back to the hotel and uh, Mark Bruner was running a playtest for his uh, uh, emergent game. Oh, yeah, his 10th level th-
0: funnel? That oh. came out
2: to 10th level, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's and awesome.
2: Ended up in more than 10 players at the table. Gosh, that was a blast.
1: (laughs) That was a blast. That's cool.
2: So, yeah, sounds great. And I know Steven Newton's going to be running uh, some playtests for his new DCC game. Um, Trying to think. Uh, Dark Trails will have a presence there, but David Beatty's only running off book. Uh, Someone else is running the game for him there.
1: Hmm.
2: Which is kind of cool. I know Haley sketch is running something. I think Thursday at six. Of course, it's full, but everybody in the world is waitlisted for it. Yeah, it's so much, so much good stuff going on. We can't
1: wait, and we're going to have a blast. I am going to try to fly into some games at the last minute if I can, uh, you know, actually scrape myself off the um, bar. But uh, I th- <laughs> the last thing I want to just tell people is uh, if you are attending by all you know find those games you want to go to and go to the table and find out if you can get in don't be put off by anything you can the chances are not necessarily bad that you can walk up and get a lucky chair it happens not uncommonly
0: so uh, you know to do does. it it's a
1: great way to just meet people and meet those uh, judges you want to meet and just meet everybody and have a great time so don't don't be shy have a great time
2: and I'll also say that uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, prob- possibly Saturday, a bunch of us congregate over at the lounge over there. Um, if there's DCC personalities you're looking to meet that you didn't luck out and get a table with, then come on over. Chances are at least 80% of us will be over there at some point. And yeah. I am totally going to be slinging the rat, sl- rat Ooh, snake days. Yeah. And yeah, I think a fun little, you know, quasi-tournament. I put tournament in air quotes. So, yeah, first one in each circle to go out buys the rest of the round a drink.
1: Exactly. There Ooh, you go. that's
0: fun.
2: Yeah, nothing really anteed up, nothing tournamenty about it, but makes it sound more official. Ha. <laughs> Laugh with me, guys. Come on.
1: <laughs> ha. It's a drinking game. Yes, Do it. I get it. I love it. I love it. I actually would love to. uh, I'm going to have to actually get in on one of those and finally play some Rat Snake. That sounds delicious.
2: Bless his heart. David Hoskins actually asked for a tutorial a couple weeks back. It was
1: beautiful. (laughs) You should run some (laughs) demos. That would be fun.
2: Well, that's essentially what this would be. But, you know, there's a small stake. Small.
1: Well, I like it.
2: And if I put myself in enough circles, I can totter back to the room. That'll be great.
1: <laughs> we'll get you back.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm usually the one who goes out first and ends up buying the round. So mm. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs>
1: there you go. On that note, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, keep the emails coming in to the band at spellburn.com. We appreciate uh, your uh, emails, of course. And of course, give us some ratings on iTunes. Don't forget, as Jeff had said earlier, uh, get us some house rule suggestions for a future episode. And with that, uh, this is Judge Julian signing off with uh, my usual message, game on at GaryCon.
0: Ooh, heck yeah. And this is Judge Jeff. Thank you for listening. This has been an awesome episode. It's been fun to to hang out with you guys and chat and read your emails. So please keep writing in.
2: And Judge Jen signing out. And in the words of the eloquent Judge Jim, never split the party unless the party is already split.
0: You've been listening to Spellbird. Copyright 2017. Of the 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 lady, warrior, a to be Our theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more at glitterwizard.fancamp.com